This is Wicket's World with Mike Wicket on 1021 FM and 1350 ESPN Des Moines. Sorry, I'm just putting the show on the Facebook page right now. All right, there we go. Happy Friday! It is so good to be here. It is uh, December. It is Christmas time. It is championship weekend. It is time for some of the best, some of the best football we're going to see over the next month. And it begins tonight. And I am telling you right now, if my buddy Scott, who is hosting poker tonight, Scott, if you're paying attention, please have a TV on for the Washington-Oregon game tonight because we get all these championship games and they begin tonight. The Pac-12 championship has never mattered more. And I can't wait for it. You get Oregon. You get Washington tonight. You wake up tomorrow. By the way, you can hear that game tonight right here on ESPN Des Moines. Then tomorrow you wake up. Game day will be, I think they're in um, in Atlanta for the SEC championship. But the early game is the Big 12 championship game. Also has huge implications on college football. And then after that, you can hear that one right here on ESPN Des Moines. Got the SEC championship. Got the Big Ten championship. Got the ACC championship at night. You can hear the ACC championship Coming up tomorrow right here on ESPN Des Moines. We've got the Big 12, the Pac-12, and the ACC Championship between today and tomorrow. Plus, we got Drake Basketball coming up against Missouri State tomorrow and an NFL doubleheader on Sunday. Like, if you want big-time football or basketball, you want live sports, we've got you right here on ESPN Des Moines. I'll get to more of that. That is a topic that is in my blood. Talking about college football is in my blood from where I began my radio career in Ann Arbor and moving through the country and being here in, uh, you know, right at what, 40 minutes from Ames and two hours from Iowa city college football is in my blood. But this year, this time of the year, it's a topic I hate talking about. I'll explain why coming up in just a bit. Uh, I do want to start with a story that I don't usually get to. And that's the Dallas Cowboys. All right. Dallas wins last night. Uh, They beat the Seattle Seahawks in a crazier game. It was actually, I can't usually say this, it was actually a good Thursday night football game. Normally, we don't get good Thursday night games, right? Normally, they suck. Uh, normally, it's Washington and Chicago, and it's 12 to 10 or whatever. That was even a Monday night game last week between Minnesota and Chicago. But last night, 41-35, it was Geno versus Dak, and the difference in this one was probably the one interception that Geno threw. Dak didn't throw any. They both threw three touchdowns. Geno threw for 334, three touchdowns, all to DK Metcalf. Hopefully you started him in your fantasy football league because I know playoffs are around the corner. Six for a buck, 34, and three scores for DK on the other side. 12 catches for 116 yards and a touchdown for CeeDee Lamb. Dak Prescott, 299 yards passing. You know, for those of us with Dak Prescott in fantasy, couldn't he have thrown for one more, but one more stinking yard? Get to 300. Get me the three extra bonus points. Come on, Dak. Now, I've been a guy that has been pretty hard on Dak Prescott. I think most people are pretty hard on Dak Prescott. And that's the, you know, that becomes sort of part and parcel of being the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys. 
but you've got to give Dak Prescott all the credit in the world. And my neighbor across the street from me is a big-time Cowboys fan. His name's Shane, and he has the Cowboy flag hanging up when they win. He's got the Cowboy inflatable helmet on his lawn when they win. You don't see it much when they lose, but, but it's there when he wins. And normally we like to give him a bunch of crap because his team is the Cowboys and they're always like the, ah, say it, say the fancy line. This is our year. Right. Nobody believes you. But Dallas last night began what is supposed to be a pretty tough five game gauntlet. And they handled the game one pretty well. I mean, I don't like Thursday night football games usually because they're not very good. Teams don't look prepared. A lot of it can be sloppy. Uh, Dallas and offense didn't look sloppy at all yesterday. Tony Pollard, 20 carries, 68 yards, had the score. Pollard, um, decent game. Dak had his night. Told you about that. Dallas's defense did not show up whatsoever in this football game, which is a little surprising and concerning because at some point, you always have to get to this conversation with Dallas Cowboy fan. All right? This is the conversation you have to have. Yeah, Dallas is great, but. Or Dallas is good, but. You know, what? Where where does Dallas rank in the Pantheon? And that's the conversation that goes on in every NFL circle is where do you put Dallas with everybody else? Well, last night, if you based it on just last night, you'd say this is this is it. Not only is Dallas looking really, really good, especially on offense, but their quarterback, Dak Prescott, who has been playing lights out. I got his stats here from the last, like, five weeks since uh, October 29th. So all of October, check that, all of November, and that last Sunday in October, Dak has thrown four touchdowns, three touchdowns, four touchdowns, two touchdowns, four touchdowns, and then last night, three more touchdown passes for Dak Prescott. How is he not, in the in the consideration at least, or in the conversation for National Football League MVP? I think I saw him open back up today at four, plus 475. Jalen Hurts is your leader right now, I think at like minus 150. Doesn't make a ton of sense to me. We'll see what Hurts does coming up on Sunday against the uh, 49ers. But Dak Prescott last night was fantastic. And and in the past five, six weeks, been playing better than every other quarterback in the National Football League. And here he is after the game talking about preparing for a game like this over Seattle. So what you play the game for as a quarterback to have the ball in your hands with an opportunity to go win the game, uh, take the lead, whatever it may be. We practice those situations a lot, too. So, I mean, it's credit to Mike, the staff and, and just the rest of them. Because we've had so many reps at it, there's no different than, than the reps at practice. And so uh, little reminders in the huddle about that. And then just we go out, go out there and execute. The interesting dynamic in the Cowboys offense looking from last year to this year. And I am in no way a Cowboys fan. If you're new to the show. I'm a Green Bay Packers fan. I'm not a Cowboys fan. But you would have thought that losing offensive coordinator Kellen Moore to the Chargers and Mike McCarthy taking over play-calling duty was going to do two things. One, it's going to elevate Justin Herbert's play out in L.A. Two, it's going to be too much on the plate for Mike McCarthy and Dak's performance is going to drop. That was the consensus. It's actually been the opposite. Dak is probably having his best year and at least the best stretch of his career in these last five, six weeks. Meanwhile, Justin Herbert, he's had better years. Just be honest. He's had better years than he's had having this year. Still great. I mean, I'd still take Herbert almost every other quarterback in the league. But you look at Dak, 26 to 6. That's his touchdown to interceptions. Over 3,300 yards. If you like QBR, if that's one of your favorite stats, he leads the league in QBR. 
75 and a half, which is amazing. Going into this one, though, you can obviously hear that Dak wanted to be ready for the Seahawks. I put a lot into this game. I prepare my Got amazing coaches and players around me right now doing the exact same. So um, I just really think that's that's the expectations that I have for myself, the standard that we've created as an offense and um, what we're how we're comfortable in playing this game. Yeah, I mean, Dallas right now is playing as well as Dallas has played all year. I mean, they looked good on defense earlier this year. But on offense, you know, you question a couple of things and takes a little while. This is one of the one of the lessons I think that we all need to learn about in sports. And it's one that I have tried to teach myself. Like with my quarterback, Jordan Love, takes a while for him to figure things out. And I'm not saying he's in the same category as Dak right now, but you watch where Love was at at the beginning of the year. You watch Love in the last three weeks. You watch the Packers in the first three weeks, four weeks, five weeks of the season outside of that Bears game that was the opener. And the opener is basically a fifth preseason game. They didn't look real good until three weeks ago. And then two weeks ago. And then last week on Thanksgiving. It happens in the National Football League. Like, we don't have the patience to be fans. We don't have patience for things to take time. Whether they take time for, you know, an offense or defense to get installed in the National Football League or college or whatever. We want microwave results. We want open our phone, hit Twitter, get story, get our answer. That's not football. Like, football takes a long time. You know it's complicated. I know it's complicated. It's 10,000 times more complicated than I can probably even fathom. And I like to think of myself as a pretty educated fan. But it took about a month, month and a half, for Dak Prescott to get things going. And as the uh, the, the Cowboys are sitting at 9-3 and three right now, head coach Mike McCarthy says, we're, we're doing all right. We're where we need to be right now. Like I said, we talked about you know the, the second trimester, so I'm really just the focused what? on our guys catching their breath here. Let's try to get back into a normal, semi-normal flow. But yeah, we'll be ready for Philadelphia. Did he say second trimester? Okay, just making sure. Sure, whatever, that's fine. Second trimester for Mike McCarthy on the year. We'll go with that. Uh, and you can't talk about the improvement in Dak Prescott or the now nine and three. Dallas Cowboys without hearing from Jerry Jones. He's getting better, which is saying something when you've got his experience and had the reps that he's had in his career, had the successes, if you will. Uh, but he's also had his share of um, downturn. Uh, Dak's playing the best. He's getting better. In my mind, he's the best he's ever been. I would. I don't think that's out of the question. I really don't. I, and I... You know, for the last five years, I think if you're a football fan, not a fan of the Cowboys, and you know a Cowboys fan, you've always ribbed the Cowboys fan in your group for Dak Prescott. You're like, this guy can't win you the big game. He ran in that playoff game against the Niners when he, you know, clearly is not that kind of a runner. Went down, time expired. Do you blame Mac? Do you blame Dak? Where are you going to go with that? Uh, has not been able to get it done in the postseason. I think he's got one playoff win. I could be wrong about that. I think Dak's got one playoff win. And it was over 8-9 and nine Tampa in a wildcard game on a Monday night game last year. But the Dallas Cowboys, I believe, and this is just me, when you look at the tiers and the pantheons and all of that, I think the Dallas Cowboys right now are a second-tier NFC team. I think we can agree. It's the 10-1 and one Eagles and then the Niners. And then I think there's a gap. Then I think it's Dallas. But here's the thing with Dallas. I don't think anybody else is in that second tier. I think we're finding out the Lions might be a bit of fool's gold. Still a very physical team. 
Uh, their their offense can be exciting. Gibbs and Montgomery is a great backfield. Amon Ross St. Brown's a really good player. But I think we saw them get beat at home on Thanksgiving. We saw the Ravens go up 28-0 in a game before halftime last a couple of weeks ago. Like, there's, there's some reason. There's optimism and there's excitement out of Detroit, for sure. But I think if you watch the Lions play, maybe a little fool's gold with that record. But I think it's Niners-Eagles, Tier 1, Dallas in that second tier, with the ability to go up. And then everybody else besides the Giants and Panthers, and they're in the bottom. They're in the toilet of the NFC. But everybody else, you can kind of move around and figure out where you're going to put everybody. You know, if Minnesota had a healthy Kirk Cousins, I'd probably put him in that second tier, but they're not there. Now with Josh Dobbs and four picks that he threw the other night. So what is it going to take for sports talk hosts like me, fans like you, fans like me, who are sitting around trying to trying to talk to Dallas Cowboy fan? What's it going to take to move Dallas up into that elite tier? Well, they're going to have to beat somebody. This was the beginning of what you would call a five-game gauntlet. Everybody likes to use that term for a rough stretch or a tough stretch of games. And this was a gauntlet, I believe, for the Dallas Cowboys. Game one was Seattle, and they won 41-35. Gave up 35 points at home in Big D. Surprising. Very surprising there. But the next four games are big. Philly, at Buffalo, at Miami, and then those Detroit Lions. ESPN's Damian Woody. Those next four games right there, that's going to tell the whole story about what we think that the Dallas Cowboys are as it relates to Philadelphia mm-hmm. and the 49ers. Great first step, mm-hmm. getting this win against the Seattle Seahawks, but those next four games are going to tell the whole tale. Yeah, no doubt. They already lost to Philadelphia because you look at the Cowboys 9-3. and three. The best win they have this year, what happened last night? That's the best win they've got is beating Seattle. A nine-win team probably by the end of the season. Probably not going to make the playoffs. Might make the playoffs. Who have the uh, Cowboys beat? Giants? Jets? Patriots? Chargers? Rams? Giants again? Panthers? Commanders? None of those teams are sniffing the playoffs. Those are teams that are going to be probably making up a lot of the top 10 in the draft next year. But that win against Seattle's good. That's a good win. Not taking that away from from Dallas or Dallas fan. Game against Philly next Sunday night. Huge. The game against Buffalo on the road the following week. Huge. The game at Miami on Christmas Eve. Huge. And then Detroit on New Year's Eve Eve. That's a Saturday night game. Everybody will be watching that game. Saturday night, New Year's Eve weekend. Dude, that's going to be it right there. So I, I don't, I can't put Dallas up with Philly because they got beat by Philly already this year. I can't put Dallas with San Francisco because the Niners curb stomped them back in week five, 42 to 10. But that next tier is where you would put Dallas. If they get three of these next four, let's say they beat Philly, Buffalo, and Detroit. Okay, all right, well, listen to that conversation. I will definitely listen to that that conversation. But Dak has to be in the conversation for MVP right there behind Hurts. And the Cowboys need to get a couple more wins before you can have that conversation of putting them up there. But, hey, 
just because you know you may not or I may not have them in that top tier, they can still host a playoff game this year. Get a couple more wins. Have, hope Philly loses to San Francisco coming up this weekend. Like there's still room for Dallas to keep going, and that's why this time of year is so exciting because you're going to start to see really teams separate. I think there's three teams that can win the NFC. I think it's Philly, Dallas, San Francisco. Not that order. In the AFC, I I don't even know. Is it just the Chiefs? Is it you like Miami? You like Buffalo? You like Baltimore? You're going to trust Lamar Jackson? So many questions all over. But last night, Dallas, good win for the Dallas Cowboys. Real good win. All right, coming up, we're going to get to the Hawks. And an emotional Kirk Ferentz as Iowa gets ready for Michigan in the Big Ten Championship. Wicket needs a timeout. He'll be back soon. You're listening to 1021 FM and 1350 ESPN Des Moines. You're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. You really are a heel. You're as cuddly as a cactus. You're as charming as an eel. Mr. Grinch, you're a bad banana with a greasy black bean. This is the flavor of coffee creamer that I am currently uh, putting. It's sugar cookie, sugar cookie with the Grinch logo, with the Grinch on the uh, on the label. That's, is the, it, that's the coffee I'm drinking right now. Is it blended with real bits of Grinch? It might be. That might be why I'm so salty. It <laughs> could be. Uh, 1021 FM and 1350 ESPN Des Moines. Uh, my name is Mike Wicket. This is Wicket's World. Happy Friday. Shout out to Cowboy fan Rowdy, who's watching on the stream, who says, don't take my win away from me. I'm not taking your win away. I said it was a good win. I just, when you talk about teams that I would bet our producer Kira's paycheck on to win the Super Bowl, I can't feel confident doing it on the Cowboys, all right? I, Kira, I, I won't bet your paycheck on Why the Cowboys. My paycheck? We, we're not betting mine. I mean, come on. <laughs> Yours is probably more than mine around here, all right? So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get to some more NFL because uh, I do want to talk about, of course, the game. There's only really one game that matters this weekend. Okay, if you're watching the Eagles and the Niners, maybe that's the one. But it's the one Sunday night at Lambeau Field. Patrick Mahomes and Jordan Love, the rematch from two years ago when Aaron Rodgers was immunized and got COVID. And then Jordan Love had to play and look like a deer in headlights. Yeah, that the rematch, a little different, I think. A little different Jordan Love, but we'll talk about that in a bit. Hey, don't forget, coming up tonight, we've got Washington and Oregon in the Pac-12 championship game. 7 o'clock tonight for that one here on ESPN Des Moines. Maybe 6 o'clock for the pregame, I'm thinking. And then tomorrow morning, 10 a.m., we'll start our coverage of the Big 12 championship game between Texas and Oklahoma State. After that, Drake basketball. Michael Admire has the Bulldogs and Missouri State. And then we go back to more football at the ACC Championship, Florida State and Louisville. And I can't wait to talk about that because it's one of my least favorite topics to talk about. But every time I think about it, I want to say a lot about it. That's coming up in the show. And then Sunday, Lions-Saints early, late game. Nine, uh, we got the Bucks and the Panthers. And if you're not excited for Bucks and Panthers, a team going nowhere that just fired their coach, like we really picked a winner. Thanks, ESPN. We really picked a winner. They got a team that's not not playoff ready versus a team that's going to be you know near the top of the draft. Oh, they don't even have their pick. That's right. They don't even have their pick. So get excited for that. <laughs> so get excited 
for that. You know, I, I do the morning show on Laser 103.3 around here. And yesterday, um, I was talking with my co-host, Heather, and she and I, we were talking about Kirk Ferentz. And I, I made this assertion, and then I put it up on Facebook. And God, remember, if, if there's one thing I can teach young people trying to get into the entertainment industry where you give an opinion, whether it's sports radio, news talk radio, TV, blogging, vlogging, YouTubing, whatever it is, whatever your opinion is going to be on the line. You can't get upset when someone calls you an idiot or someone disagrees with you, all right? If we all agreed, this world would be pretty boring. Now, I wish we would all agree and come to the middle on a few things. That would be nice. But I made this assertion about Kirk Ferentz, and I got killed for it. Kirk Ferentz should have been Big Ten Coach of the Year. Kirk Ferentz should have been Big Ten Coach of the Year. I give mad props to what David Braun did at Northwestern to get that team to 7-5. and five. They won one game last year, and weeks before the season began, Pat Fitzca- uh, Fitzgerald got canned for his involvement or alleged involvement or knowledge of or lack of control of hazing within the Northwestern football program. And Braun stepped in, and they won seven games this year, which is admirable. Nothing, I can't take anything away from what he did. But I will tell you this. What Kirk Ferentz did this year, overcoming the gambling scandal, overcoming this shadow of his son's contract, and he, how, the, how Brian Schottenheimer, Schottenheimer, Brian Ferentz's offense, uh, has to average 25 points a game, and they have to get to seven wins, and he was going to be asked about it all the time. Overcoming the injury to uh, quarterback Cade McNamara and Luke Lachey and Eric All and his center and another receiver and the, the injuries. And still, to get Iowa to the Big Ten championship game is incredible. Again, what happened at Northwestern is great. What happened at Iowa, that may be Kirk Ferentz's best coaching job of the year. Or of his career, I should say. That may be the best coaching job of Kirk Ferentz's Hall of Fame career. There are 133 programs in college football. 22 of them won 10 games, including Iowa. Florida State, Georgia, Michigan, Washington, Liberty, Ohio State, Texas, James Madison, Bama, Oregon, Toledo, Tulane, Louisville, Missouri, Ole Miss, New Mexico State, didn't know that, Miami, Boomer Sooner, Penn State, SMU, Troy, and Iowa. That's it. Those are your 10-win teams. And for Kirk Ferentz to do that with everything that happened in the rearview mirror with all those injuries, dude should have been coach of the year. I don't care what anybody says. And and I, if you listen to Coach Ferentz talk, he's an emotional guy, especially after everything that I laid out that they went through this year and still to get to this point. I mean, you, you saw him on the Big Ten Network. And, and he talked about just how tough it is to get enough wins to get to one of these championship games. Oh, it's special. Anytime you can get there, this is our third trip. It's a great accomplishment. Hard as heck to get there. That's another thing I don't think people understand, just how hard it is to be successful and to win. What it takes over the long course of a season, you know, I, th- I think that uh, gets overlooked sometimes. Emotions, man. He's an emotional guy. And I think... When my wife and I were watching, do you remember the, the show Quarterback? It was just on Netflix. It was about Mahomes, and it was about Kirk Cousins, and it was about Marcus Mariota. And I think that watching that docu series with my wife 
opened her eyes. My wife's not the world's biggest football fan. Let's be real here. But watching that, she appreciates good storytelling. She got to see how complicated football is. It's not just go out there, run, hit, catch, throw, right? Like there's, there's a lot. There's a lot that goes into a play, a variation of a play, a playbook. And then there's the idea that we are literally talking about in college football's play, uh, college football's place, 90 guys all trying to come together as one, blocking out the outside noise, living their college lives, trying to be good at football, trying to grow up as 18, 19, 20, 21-year-old men with all of the, you know, the distractions and everything that go on about it. As the football team loses its quarterback, as the football team loses players to suspension from the NCAA because of this gambling thing, as, as players are transferring in and out, all the noise about how you suck, you suck, you suck, you know, Brian Ferentz this, the offense this, this is how Iowa is, punting is a good play. Like, they have to block all of that out. And as a coach, to get to this point, to 10 wins, it's just, it, it's an incredible thing. These emotions run so high when you are so close to 90 young men. First of all, it's a gene I got from my dad, and I can't, you know, it is what it is. So that's just how I feel. I, I think I know better than anybody just what these guys have been through, what this team's been through. That's still the best part about this whole job. As much as things change outside the building, when you come in the building, the opportunity to actually teach, coach, work with great young people, that's what makes this all worthwhile. And you deal with the NIL, the portal, all yeah. that other <laughs> stuff, and uh, all that stuff that's just gotten blown up so much. But it's still about the players, and that's what I've always enjoyed, and that's what I still enjoy. I admire Kurt Ferentz for that, and I have no reason to suck up. I'm not an Iowa fan. I'm a Michigan fan. I hope your team loses by 40 or at least 23 and a half this weekend. But I, 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 I admire Kirk Ferentz for the dedication, for the commitment, for the emotions. I mean, listen to him after that crazy game last week when Iowa beat Nebraska. Just really excited for our guys. Uh... They've been really resilient, and you know, to find this way tonight, you know, Herkut gets a pick. It's crazy. A defense lineman gets a pick, and then a uh, unsung guy comes out and kicks a field goal. So it's got it's got to represent this team somehow, some way. Uh, we've won ten games, and it's pretty good. By the way, Ben points out on the Facebook page. Thank you, Ben. This team should be eleven and one. This team should be eleven and one, which chops that down to I think ten or eleven teams in America that won eleven. It was not a fair catch that Cooper DeGene called for. All right. You're, you're right about that. They should be 11 and 1. How many Iowa teams have won 11 games? And to win 11 games with all of the injuries and setbacks that they go through, and every college football team goes through these things, all right? Notre Dame goes through them, Arizona goes through them, uh, Oregon goes through all these setbacks and things you have to overcome. That's what makes a football season so special. But 2023 was a really, really special year for Coach Ferentz. Yeah, they all mean a lot, you know that. I mean, you grew up in the profession, so uh, it's hard to win first and foremost. It just it speaks to the kind of kids we have. Uh, these guys are really, they're fun to work with. Uh, they believe in themselves, believe in each other. They care about each other, so it's, it's really uh, just special. It is. I mean, this year, and I, I think there's some sadness in there. There's some tears of joy in there because of what they did. They beat Nebraska. They got a, a Big Ten championship berth the week before. They overcame all the adversity. But there's some sadness when you listen to Kirk's voice there. Because that is going to be the last road game that he coaches with his son. 
and I, I've made plenty of, I've had plenty of opinions about Brian Ferentz, and I'm sure if you're an Iowa fan, you've had plenty of apparent, uh, opinions about Brian Ferentz, the offensive coordinator. He wasn't good at it. This Iowa team did not score enough points. Imagine if they were able to average 25 a game with that defense. I mean, maybe they're an 11-win team. Maybe they're their team with a legit chance to beat Michigan this weekend. They have a chance. Snowball's chance, but they have a chance to beat Michigan this weekend. But you can hear the emotion in Kirk's voice. And whether you think Kirk is a great coach, a mediocre coach, a lousy coach, he's a dedicated dad. And as a father, I appreciate that. Like my son, Miles, if I ever have to fire my son or watch as my son got fired from my staff, I don't even know. I couldn't do it, man. I don't know how he goes into every game knowing that this is going to be like, he's got two left with Brian got the big 10 championship and a bowl game, wherever that bowl game is going to be that last home game at Kinnick a couple of weeks ago, that game at Lincoln or in Lincoln uh, last week. You don't get a lot of these. I'm going to play you my favorite soundbite from Kirk Ferentz coming up. And the question is everybody roots for the underdog, but why don't they root for the underdog when it's Iowa? We'll get to that next. Like ESPN Des Moines on Facebook and watch Wicket's World live in real time. This is 1021 FM and 1350 ESPN Des Moines. And you better watch out. You better not cry. You better not bow. I'm telling you why. All right. Can I make... Can I give you a hot take, Kira? You ready? Sure. The Jackson 5 version of Santa Claus is coming to town is better than Bruce Springsteen's. Oh, yeah. Okay. Just making sure. Not a hot take. Okay. I didn't didn't know if that was a hot take or not. No. But it is. It's the better version. Okay. Thank you. It's not even an opinion. It's a fact. I knew I liked you, Kira. Appreciate that. Uh, 1021 FM, 1350 ESPN Des Moines. My name is Mike Wickett. This is Wickett's World. Don't forget tonight, Pac-12 championship game. Uh, Washington and Oregon, and I hope my neighbor Scott, who is hosting poker tonight, will have a TV on so we can watch this one. If not, it's going to be like a phone thing. (laughs) Going to be distracted by the Pac-12 championship game coming up tonight. It's three versus five. More on that in a minute. Also, we'll have the Big 12 championship game tomorrow morning, 10 a.m. Our coverage starts. Drake basketball follows. Then the ACC championship game, Louisville and Florida State, and then two NFL games on Sunday. You want live sports. We've got live sports all weekend here on ESPN Des Moines. Uh, wrapping up the conversation about Kirk Ferentz, and I could not believe when I said it, I do, I do the morning show on Laser, and I said Kirk Ferentz should have been Big Ten Coach of the Year. David Braun, the coach at uh, Northwestern, who took over a one-win team weeks after, I'm sorry, weeks before the year began uh, when Pat Fitzgerald Fitzgerald, why am I blanking on that? The Northwestern head coach was dismissed because of his involvement or lack of control over hazing. They went 7-5. and five, And it was a 10-2, and two, should have been 11-1 and one Iowa team. I believe Kirk Farron should have been your Big Ten coach of the year. But he was not. It happens. They get Michigan coming up tomorrow. They are a 23.5 point underdog. Michigan has everything... The the conversation we're going to talk about here in a moment is, does Michigan need to win this game? They get Jim Harbaugh back on the field. They're a 23-and-a-half point favorite. So what about the underdog role? 
Why is it, we always say this, we love underdogs. NCAA tournament rolls around. We all like it when William and Mary makes it into the Sweet 16 and Kentucky doesn't, right? We always like rooting for the underdog. But nobody, for some reason, I don't know anybody who's like outside of this state, man, unless you just hate the way the Harbaugh situation has gone or you hate Michigan, no one's excited to see Iowa win this football game coming up. So Kirk Ferentz was asked, why don't people root for the underdog when it's Iowa? Last people year. love not to love us. I, you know, that's okay. I mean, it's just what it is. I, I don't know. Maybe it's me. I don't know. I thought, you know, I'm thinking of a decent person. I don't know. But, yeah, you know, and we don't, we don't, you know, broadcast. I mean, we've had some success. You know, we just try to let our play speak for itself. And I'm, I'm extremely proud. And I think all of our players are proud of what we've done here the last three, four, five years. If you look at the numbers, they're not bad. But I think, you know, there's also a stylistic part. And maybe, you know, we're not pretty enough or, or whatever it may be. But, the, you know, the objective is to win games. Try to find a way to win. That's what you try to do. And that that's our uh, our guys have done a pretty good job of that and proud to have earned our way into this thing. You know, we got a hell of a challenge on our hands, but yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why. I mean, we got great colors. I was easy to spell, right? I mean, that's really, so I don't know. That's a good question. Right. I was easy to spell. The black and gold is a cool contract. I don't know what it is. Dude's a great football coach, though. I don't care what anybody says. He's a very good football coach. Should have been Big Ten Coach of the Year. To the rest of college football we go. And I'll tell you what. Every time this conversation comes up, now these conversations begin six weeks prior, but I never get involved with them because this is the final year for this college football playoff committee format. As we know, the final four get in and they meet on Tuesdays after the season, right around Halloween it begins. And then every week they unveil the top, whatever, the top 25 in the college football rankings. Top four make it this year, right now, as we sit, Georgia, Michigan, Washington, Florida State. And every year, Far too many people get their panties in a bunch when there's still four very big games to be played. Maybe five very big games to be played. All right? I was listening to the morning show here on ESPN Des Moines on my way in. And uh, Chris Canty, who does the morning show along with uh, Evan and Michelle, talking about how your, your college football, one through four, and then Oregon at five, Ohio State at six, Texas 7 in Alabama is, I'm going to paraphrase, unacceptable. He's over it. Can't handle it. How does this happen? You got people with all these hot takes about, well, you can't have, if Alabama beats Georgia in the SEC championship game, you can't possibly have a, a, a college football playoff without an SEC team. Georgia, who's won 29 straight games in the last two national championships, even if they lose, they should get in. What about Washington and Oregon? You know, Oregon loses, they should be out. But if they beat them, how far does Washington fall? Then there's Florida State. And Florida State right now, without their quarterback, who hurt himself two weeks ago, uh, broke his leg. So is Florida State deserving of getting into the Final Four? And what about Ohio State? How can you punish Ohio State? And their only loss this year was a last-second interception on the road at the biggest rival they've got, the number 2-ranked Michigan Wolverines. And then there's Texas. If Alabama beats Georgia, how can Alabama get in over Texas? Should Texas win the Big 12 championship if Alabama lost to Texas earlier this year? That sums up all of sports talk for the last four days on the national level talking about college football. And I hate it. I absolutely hate it. Because here's my answer. Let's see what happens. Let's see what happens tonight. 
if Washington beats Oregon tonight in the Pac-12 championship game, and of course, they already beat Oregon once this year, last second game, great football game, one of the best games of the year. If Oregon wins, Oregon's going to get in, probably. Washington's out. Oregon's probably going to get in at 11-1. and one. And Bo Nix probably wraps up the Heisman, assuming that's what happens. The dude's thrown like 50 touchdowns and two picks or something ridiculous this year. Like, he's probably going to win the Heisman. Dude at LSU, probably going to be in that contention as well. Oregon just won more games than LSU this year. But as we sit right now, if I'm forecasting what, let's I'll tell you what the networks want to have happen, what college football wants to have happen. No chaos. And if you're a fan of chaos and you love watching stuff get blown up and you hate the college football playoff and the way it's formed, don't worry, next year we go to 12. But if you hate college football the way that it sits right now with only the four get in, there's going to be people yelling and screaming and all these things about the different teams and who's going to get in. If you want a nice buttoned up college football playoff with a nice bow on it and there's no controversy and there's no asterisks. Here's what you want to have happen. Georgia beats Bama. Michigan beats Iowa. Washington beats Oregon. Florida State beats Louisville. If that is what we get, if by the time we get to Saturday night around 10 o'clock and those four things have happened, it's easy. It's Georgia, Michigan, Washington, Florida State. I don't care if Florida State lost their quarterback. I don't care if Michael Penix isn't playing great. Those four teams would be 13-0. And those are your four undefeated teams in the country. And then if something else goes funky, you know, would you put in, then here's the conversation. What do you do with Alabama? What do you do with Texas? Because Alabama leapfrog Texas, even though Texas beat Alabama. Like all these things we argue about and there are a whole bunch of hypotheticals. You know, Desmond Howard, my guy from Michigan, Heisman Trophy winner over on ESPN. He was on uh, one of the shows. I think he was on Greeny's show earlier this week right here on ESPN Des Moines. And says, regardless, at least we can agree on this. Maybe. Maybe we can't agree on this. No matter what happens, unless they're blown out by 100, Georgia is getting in. If you look at the strength of record and strength of schedule, that's the things that the college football playoff selection committee, they like to look at when they start splitting hairs. I think that they may be able to vote, vote Georgia in. I'm not saying that they should. I'm just saying when you look at when teams drop, when they lose a game, very few teams drop that far out of the rankings, especially from number one. Four of the top 11 and five of the top 13 are from the SEC. And Georgia ran that gauntlet. Like, I don't know how you keep Georgia out of this regardless. Uh, Stacey Rost from ESPN up in Washington, who covers the UW Huskies, uh, was talking about the game coming up tonight. What happens if there's an upset tonight? If Oregon beats Washington, I think the college football playoff committee will take, and it, it depends what happens, obviously, with the SEC championship and everything else. But I think the committee would take Oregon as the Pac-12 champion. And so one of those two gets in. But then UW will have been penalized for losing to number five overall, whereas Oregon won't be penalized at all for losing a head-to-head earlier in the season. I know the committee favors conference champions, so I, I completely understand that, but they also look at head-to-head. They also look at overall record and schedule, so I don't know. I think there's an argument to be made for potentially two Pac-12 teams. I just don't think the committee would ever Mm-mm. in a million years do that. No, no. If there's an opportunity to take one Pac-12 team and a, and a Big 12 or two SECs or two Big 10s, they would, they would take that over the Pac-12. I have 
and I know this isn't part of the rules, but ever since we have had these playoff games and the BCS before this, I have always maintained that if you didn't win your conference, you can't play for the national championship. Some people disagree with that. Um, so, for example, like, you know who's still lurking, hoping for some chaos, right? You know who's sitting there at number six, right? Whose only blemish was losing to number two, Michigan. The Buckeyes. They backed in last year, remember? They backed in. C.J. Stroud had that incredible game against Georgia. They almost upset the Bulldogs. Ohio State's lurking. They're hoping. They're hoping Florida State loses to Louisville and Washington loses to Oregon. I don't think Ohio State can leapfrog anybody by being idle. I don't think. You would have to have some chaos happen in front of you. But to something that she just said, Stacey Rost, you know, if, if Washington loses to Oregon, their only loss would be to the number five team in the nation. You're going to drop them? You're going to penalize them for that? You know, it, it's so, like, there are a few jobs in this world I would never, ever want. One of them is to be sitting in the college football playoff committee room after this weekend, if there's chaos. Again, I go back to what I said earlier. If you want there to be no asterisks and you want there to be no controversy, root for Georgia, Michigan, Washington, and Florida State. Even without their quarterback, I think that is the fourth team that should get in, no matter what. But if we start getting chaos tonight, if Oregon wins, and what happens if Oregon blows Washington out in the Pac-12 championship game? Do they leapfrog up to three? Do they leapfrog Florida State? Or in the SEC championship game, there's an upset. Like, there's so much that we don't know that arguing about all these hypotheticals sometimes seems kind of pointless. And I've been listening to it all week. And I've been saying, God, how can you guys talk about it? And then I get on the microphone and I talk about it. Coming up, we're going to hear from Jim Harbaugh. He is back with Michigan. They're getting ready for Iowa in the Big Ten championship game and the game. No, not Michigan-Ohio State. This weekend's the game is going on at Lambeau. We're going to hear from one of the two signal callers playing in that one coming up next. This is my mother's favorite Christmas song. She loves the Beach Boys. Loves them. I don't know if she's watching on the stream. Normally she is. Hi, Mom. Uh, 1021 FM, 1350 ESPN Des Moines. I'm Mike Wicket. This is Wicket's World. Uh, the big one coming up tonight. We got Oregon. We got Washington tomorrow. We got football, basketball, football at the Big 12 championship game early. We got Drake taking on uh, Missouri State. And then after that, we got the ACC championship game. Taking uh, It'll be, uh, who's in that one? Uh, Florida State and Louisville. And then two NFL games. Lions, Saints, Bucks, Panthers. That's on Sunday, a doubleheader. Uh, Michigan in the Big Ten Championship game coming up tomorrow night in Indy. They're a 23-and-a-half-point underdog. Uh, they'll get the Iowa Hawkeyes. My favorite stat of this game, by the way, and I know I just praised Kirk Ferentz, and this is what they have obviously have to work on is the ability to score points, but they are going up against the country's number one scoring defense, all right? That's a daunting task when Deacon Hill is your quarterback. The over-under, according to DraftKings, the over-under for first half points scored by Iowa is half a point. Half a point. 
Will they score half of a point at all? Or will Michigan shut them out in the first half? That's my favorite stat. That Again, I think Kirk Ferentz is a great coach. Got to find somebody who can generate some offense. As for the other side, it'll be Jim Harbaugh back after his second three-game suspension this year. He missed the first three. He missed the last three. Michigan won all six. Uh, Sharon Moore called the plays and led the Wolverines the last three games and got lots of praise from Harbaugh. I understand the attention. Uh, me not being there was a big deal, but I want to spend my time recognizing what was actually accomplished a couple days ago. Coach Sharon Moore called a great game, coached the offensive line, and, uh, and made the decisions as the head coach. And a tremendous testament to, uh, to the coaches and the players, uh, especially everyone Everyone coming together, the great and glorious victory for Michigan. Who could possibly have it better? Who could possibly have it better than us? Who's got it better than us? Nobody. By the way, remember we were talking about the 1,000th the game for Michigan two weeks ago? The game against Maryland was their 1,000th win. And then the game against Ohio State last week was their 1,001st, which, by the way, in Roman numerals is MI, Michigan. <sighs> Crazy. Rigged. Rigged. A conspiracy. Scripted. 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 Yep. 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 One more from Jimmy Harbaugh. I said he's back, but you know what? I never left. My focus has been with the team, you know, the entire time. This uh, has been a tremendous season, right? The exact position that we hoped for, that we worked so hard to be in, and it's onward now. There's, uh, we've accomplished many of our goals, but not all of them yet. And uh, some still still are out there. Beating Michigan State, beating Penn State, beating Ohio State, winning the Big Ten East. You know, now the next is is winning the conference championship, and that's, that's uh, where our focus is. And I would say, you know, to be back, but I never left. He just wasn't there. Like he was there for for the the week of, but not game day in Ann Arbor or when they went to Annapolis or wherever their other games were. Uh, Harbaugh not there, but he'll be there on the sideline when Michigan and Iowa play in the Big Ten championship game coming up tomorrow night. And then Sunday night. All right. Sunday night is the game. Now, the game in college football is Michigan-Ohio State. But the game this weekend, forget about Philly and uh, San Francisco for just a second. The game coming up, Sunday night football. The 13-time world champion, Green Bay Packers, taking on the defending world champion, Kansas City Chiefs. Like, this is it right here. This I cannot wait for this one. I've already asked my wife to put all the kids down uh, so I don't have to on Sunday night, so I don't miss a snap of Jordan Alexander Love versus Patrick LeVon Mahomes. Yes, I know their middle names. I'm getting excited for this one. I can't tell you. Uh, Patrick Mahomes had the, you know, I don't know if he's second or third where he's at in the MVP voting or whatever, giving some love to Jordan Love. They've been playing great football all year. I've watched a lot of their games just because we've played some similar opponents. Jordan's gotten better and better every single game. He's always at the talent, but you, when you get more and more reps, I mean, he, he didn't play for three years, basically, so he's gotten more and more reps. You can see how much more comfortable he's getting. they got playmakers everywhere. That is what I talked about earlier, and I've been trying to preach every single time I get, you know, cornered with, Jordan love this, Jordan love that, the Packers this. You can sit behind Aaron Rodgers all you want for two or three years. Just like Aaron Rodgers could sit behind Brett Favre for two or three years or whatever. Until you get out there. Most quarterbacks, not all, but most quarterbacks need reps. Need to get out there. Need to play. Need real speed. Need to get hit. Need to know what it's like to throw 
a ball into a tight space. Need to know you can't become a great quarterback without playing. And I know there was a lot of criticism, and I am currently, yes, wearing a Jordan Love jersey, all right? And I've been on the Love train since they drafted him. But you cannot expect a guy to come out there without getting time on the field and expect him to be very good. And Love struggled for the first seven, eight weeks. And you know, my friends ripped me, Jordan Love sucks. Got to start Clifford. Got to draft the quarterback. Here's a mock draft. A buddy of mine sent me a mock draft where the Green Bay Packers were going to draft J.J. McCarthy out of Michigan in the first round at number nine. And I said, there's no bleeping way that's going to happen. And you look at Jordan Love in the last three weeks. He's been great. How great, you ask? How great, Kira? Jordan Love in November. Threw for 1,107 yards. That's fifth best in the National Football League. He threw eight touchdowns, third best in the National Football League. His touchdown to interception ratio, eight to two or four to one. Third best in the National Football League. Packers went three and one, and he averaged 276 and a half yards per game. That's fifth best in the National Football League. The last three games, Jordan Love has averaged 298 passing yards. He has thrown seven touchdowns, including three last week on the road at Detroit, a team that absolutely manhandled Green Bay back in week three of the season on Thursday Night Football. Jordan Love is getting better. Jordan Love is showing he can play at a high level in this league. Now, this is a different animal. Here comes Patrick Mahomes. Here comes Sunday Night Football. Here comes one of the better defenses in the National Football League in the Kansas City Chiefs defense. Last time Green Bay saw, last time Green Bay saw uh, Mahomes and company, it was, what, two years ago. I remember where I was. I was sitting right there, my desk, right outside this window. And there I am on Twitter. And I see Aaron Rodgers has COVID. And I'm like, son of a bitch. They got to go down to Kansas City with Jordan Love having no experience. It was a Wednesday. So what? Are they, Wednesday, they get a walkthrough, an install and a walkthrough, and then they head down there, and that's it. And Steve Spagnola, the defensive coordinator for the Kansas City Chiefs, blitzed the bejesus, zero blitz, which means they're leaving nobody behind. Everybody is coming, all right? And it was a brilliant move. It was smart because they knew that Love had never seen that much pressure from a defense with guys like Chris Jones and Frank Clark that were coming on that line. And they got to him a lot. And unfortunately, Matt LaFleur decided not to adjust or couldn't make any adjustments or anything. Nothing changed in-game. Love actually got better and was decent in the fourth quarter of that football game, but not good enough. His stats were actually better than Patrick Mahomes. I think they lost 13-10. Not a real exciting football game, unless you're sitting there watching and hoping that Jordan Love can show that he can play to justify that pick. But here we are two years later, and Jordan Love is playing at a high level right now in the National Football League, and I think, I believe some of the doubters are starting to come back over to the side where we all had optimism before the year began. But I go back to what I said, man. The NFL is hard. Winning games, Kirk Ferentz said it earlier in the show, winning football games is hard. Being good at football is hard. And Jordan Love just needed time. He needed to play. He needed to have some success. He needed to have some failure. And he's still going to have failures in front of him. But right now, Green Bay has a lot of momentum rolling into this game against 
the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, does it come down to love? Does it come down to the receivers? It may come down to the other side of the ball, and Patrick Mahomes gives praise to Joe Barry's defense. And their defense can play. They got a lot of guys that can play football, and so it'll be a great challenge for us. And um, they're a hot football team that just beat another great football team, so they have confidence coming in. So we have to try to match that confidence and find a way to win a football game. I don't know if it's the greatest compliment in the world to hear Patrick Mahomes say they got a lot of guys that can play football. I I didn't. That's not. <laughs> that's a heck of a statement, there, Patrick. That's a. They got a lot of guys out there that can play football. Not play football well. Not play football at a high level. They got a lot of guys out there that can play. All right. They got a lot of adequate guys on that uh, on that Green Bay defense. Uh, let's get to Green Bay's head coach, Matt LaFleur. If you watch Jordan Love, uh, it's obvious he's getting much more comfortable with the rush. He's not feeling it as much. He's able to have that sense where he has to get out of the pocket. He has to move. He has to get rid of the ball. Here's Matt LaFleur on Jordan Love getting comfortable and keeping his eyes downfield. It's something that we've definitely talked about. It's not something that you, you talk about a lot, but obviously getting your eyes in the right place, keeping your eyes downfield and trying to feel the rush. But I do think that's a byproduct of probably his maturation as a player and playing more and trusting what's going on around him. The first go around versus these guys a couple of years ago, they brought a lot of heat and were effective with it. Yeah, they were very effective with it. They scared the hell out of Jordan Love. <laughs> I don't think Green Bay wins. But I'll tell you right now, if they do, I'm going to be insufferable next week, all right? I'm telling you right now, they're going to have to pull me off the air. I'll be just, woo! Let's go! All right, that's it. Thanks to Kira for keeping us on the air. Have yourself a great weekend. we got lots of football tonight. Oregon, Washington, Pac-12 title game tonight, tomorrow. we got the Big 12 and the ACC, and then two NFL games coming up on Sunday. My name is Mike Wicket. This has been Wicket's World. Thanks for listening to 1021 FM and 1350 ESPN Des Moines. We are dashing in one horse open sleigh.